the question of why church um, is one that, that frankly is, is kind of important for us, especially because um, we officially live in a day and age where you can get as much preaching, as much teaching, you can get as much church as you want, kind of. When you sit at home, when you're at home and, and you decide to get on the TV and flip channels, I mean, we got a Bible network. I've never actually watched the Bible network, but I see it when I flip channels. It's right on my way to ESPN. <laughs> I, we'll figure it out later. But, but I know it's there, and, and um, I know if, if you've been here once, and we have your email address. You have access to Right Now Media, so you can get sermons and preaching online as much as you want, Bible lessons, all of those things. There's podcasts that you can listen to, uh, radio things. I mean, you can get all kinds of teaching. So why church? Why is it necessary? Why do we need to be here? You know, when I was a kid, we went to church as kids, um, my parents took us to church. We went to, a, it was called Broadway Presbyterian Church. We went with my grandma and grandpa, and we went not because church was awesome. Um, we went because after we got done at church, everybody, cousins, aunt, uncle, you know, everybody would go back to grandma's house, and we'd have lunch, and if it was football season, we'd watch the Bears play, and the kids would play, and it would be a good time, and it would be enjoyable. And um, we went there for a few years, and eventually somebody said something to offend my parents, and we stopped going. But then, not to be outdone, my mom's parents said, well, you should come to church with us. So we started going to a little Southern Baptist church in Kelowna, Illinois, and uh, we went to this little Southern Baptist, it was First Baptist Church of Kelowna, it was the only Baptist church in Kelowna, okay, so it was an easy name to come up with. And we went there, and I mean, we went there every Sunday, and that guy, I mean, um, Pastor Ed, um, I mean, every Sunday, you were going to hell, and it was turn or burn and get it fixed, and get it fixed right now or else, right? That's what it was. I mean, it was, it was like, you know, every Sunday was, was the last song was this good old Southern gospel song with, with four verses, and you were going to sing that last verse until somebody came forward to get saved. Event, and it was not a big church. You got 50 people looking at each other going, is it you this week? <laughs> Maybe it should be you. It's like, I went last week. So, so, but, but I mean, that's how it was every Sunday. And so eventually that wore on my parents and they quit going to that church. And um, I kept going. I went with my grandma and grandpa and, um, you know, and eventually they quit going. So, I'd go out to church by myself and drive out there and go to church. And when church was over, I'd go to grandma and grandpa's house. And, um, I, I, you know, we'd have the conversation, how was church this morning? And, you know, well, grandma, why don't you guys ever go to church? I could pick you up. I mean, they drove. But I said, I'll pick you up. It's like my little evangelist self. And grandma, you need church. I'll pick you up. No, 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 no. And this is the first time that, that, I mean, I was young and naive, and this is the first time I had the conversation with somebody, and it was my grandparents, and so it, it seemed right to me. I trusted them. They, they were pretty wise folks, and, and, and I said, so how come you guys aren't coming to church? And her response was this. 
I don't need church. I'm a Christian. I believe in God. I know Jesus. We don't really have to go to church. Hmm. Made sense to me. Made sense. So I quit going to church. Not right away, right? I mean, um, I, I, I finished high school, but I went to college, and, and, and I was in college, and it wasn't easy to get to church anymore. I didn't have a car anymore. I couldn't just drive. Um, the nice folks at First Baptist Church in Kelowna were willing to come pick me up, but I was like, you know what? I'd rather not. I mean, it's the weekend. I'm in college. I have other things to be doing. Besides... I don't need to go to church to be a Christian. And it made perfect sense to me. And it made perfect sense to me because I learned a long time ago the truth of this verse. Trust me, it's a good truth. The truth of this verse, Ephesians 2.8, we've talked about this so many times. For it's by grace that you've been saved through faith, and this is not of yourself, okay? It's a gift from God. Other versions say it's not of yourself so that you can't boast, right? That's what this is saying is that... that You've been saved by the grace of Jesus Christ, not by anything that you can do. So if I take that logic, it says, you know what? I believe in God. I trust Jesus. So therefore, I am a Christian. I don't need to go to church. I don't need whatever church has got for me. It's not necessary for me. I am saved without it. And that's the logic that I used for a long time. And probably it's the logic that some of you have used. Probably it's the logic that some of you try to use with your spouse every Sunday morning. You don't have to admit it. But this is the reality. This is what it is. And so I struggled with this. Actually, that's a lie. I didn't struggle with it. I just stayed home. There was no struggling. Until I got to a point where um, in my Christian, I can be a Christian and not read the Bible and not go to church and not do those things. There was a verse that I came across. I'm going to show it to you. If you're here today and you're thinking, I don't need church, it's a bad verse for you. Close your eyes. If you're, if you're here today and you're thinking, you know what? I don't have to grow. I love Jesus and that's it. That's all there is to it. Then mm, this is going to be a little iffy for you, but let's do it together anyway. And it says this in Philippians 2.12, Therefore, my dear friends, as you've always obeyed, not only in my presence, this is Paul talking now, not only in my presence, because when I was there in Philippi planning the church, you obeyed. Now that I'm gone, okay, you're still obeying. I still need you to obey. You still need to do these things that Christians do. And here's what he says. Why? You need to continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. I'm going to sit there for a second. Because in your mind, those should contradict each other. In your mind, those two things should battle. On one hand, you've got Paul. By the way, Paul is the author of both of those. Okay? Paul writes Ephesians under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, and Paul writes Philippians under the guidance of the Holy Spirit. So there's not like two different authors with two different opposing points of view. No, this is the same author with the same Holy Spirit in tune with God writing these commands to the church. And the first time he says, look, understand this. You can't save yourself. There is nothing that you can do that will ever save you. 
There, there is no ritual that you can go through. There's no church service you can attend. There's no magic number of church services that you can... You ever sit down and think about how many church services some of you have ever been to? I mean, for some of you, it's in the thousands. For some of you seasoned saints, it's probably in the tens of thousands. See what I did there with seasoned? Yep. You said it, I didn't. Um, but, but here's the thing. For some of you, it's in the tens of thousands. But there's no magic number of church services. There's no magic thing that you can say. There's no threshold of times that you can take communion or times that you can, can go through. There's no baptism that will save you. None of these things will save you. Your salvation comes by grace through faith. But then the same author says, the same author says, but you better continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. You better grow yourself up. You better get serious about your faith. Paul's saying here, he's not saying that, look, that you can't really be saved um, unless you struggle with these things. And he's not saying there's a threshold that you can hit that's going to make everything okay. And once it's okay, it's okay. And you don't have to worry about it anymore. He's not suggesting that that exists. What he's saying is, who do you think you're kidding? You're going to tell me I love Jesus. I follow Jesus. Jesus is Lord of my life. But I was out pretty late on Saturday night. And so I'm not thinking I want to get there on Sunday morning. Jesus is absolutely Lord of my life. He saves my soul. I'm following him no matter what. But man, I work six days a week. Saturday is my only day off. So I really would rather not. See, what happens is that we get this this thing where we we think, oh, it's good enough. Good enough is good enough, and that's all there is to it. And um, Besides, here's the thing. Sometimes... We don't like church. Sometimes it's boring. Sometimes that guy talks too long. I'm working on it. <laughs> right? Sometimes the coffee runs out. Right? So, sometimes, um, you know, the, there's something goofy that happens. Sometimes there's people that irritate me. And oh, we all know that church is full of people that are, that, are, that are messy and that are a little bit goofy. Right? A little bit hypocritical. Uh, you've heard people say it. I think Bethany said it up here before. You know, you don't have to be in a, uh, you know, being in a, in a garage doesn't make you a car. Well, being at church doesn't make you a Christian. Would be like me saying, I like to hang out in a carpenter or in, in the, the hardware store a lot. Who, who does that? Anybody here hang out in a hardware store? <laughs> Denny, you don't know this, but you just had about six fingers pointed at you. Right? Like, so if I go hang out at the hardware store with Denny, it's like all of a sudden I'm going to be an excellent carpenter. One doesn't equal the other. But listen to me. What Paul is saying here, who do you think you're kidding? If you love Jesus, and it's not just an act, then you are going to be working out your salvation with fear and trembling. You're going to be growing up in Christ. And so um, here's the thing. Can you be a Christian and not show up at church? Sure. Sure, but can you be a growing Christian and not show up at church? I doubt it. 
I seriously doubt it. Okay? Uh, and, and when you use your salvation, when I use my salvation as a ticket to heaven, and then I just try to check out and ignore everything else, I can tell you beyond a shadow of a doubt that God is not pleased with that. That when I, when I did that in my life, going back to me, when I was, um, when I was in, in college and, and I thought, you know what, I'm a Christian, I believe in God and I like Jesus, I'm not sure that I really loved Jesus then, but, but I believed in God and I knew Jesus was real and I trusted Jesus for my salvation and I, I had my passport you know, stamped and I was ready to go to heaven and it was all good. I can tell you this, that when I thought that was all that I needed to do, God was not pleased with me. Therefore, I received no blessings from God in my life. In fact, if anything else, there was pressure that God was putting on me, pressure that God was pushing down on me so that I would understand and that I would respond to the idea that I needed something else. Okay? So we're going to deal with some objections. We're going to get into this today. And, and, and objection number one in why church is, is just simply this. I'm a Christian. You've heard it already. I believe in God. Why do I need to go? Or the question goes like, or the, it's I don't need to go to church to be a Christian. Okay? And, and some of you have probably uttered those words. Let's do a brave thing here. Here's what I want you to do. If you don't, I'll understand. It won't hurt my feelings. I'll just cry a little bit later. Um, if you've ever said or thought or verbalized something to the effect of, I'm a Christian, I believe in God, why do I need to go to church, or I don't need to go to church to be a Christian, if you've ever thought or said something similar, raise your hand. Okay. So we know where we're coming from here, right? Um, listen to me. If you're here and you're a young adult or you're a young man or a young woman, did you notice the hands that went up? Let's do that again for the benefit of our teenagers. Look around. And the reason I want you to look around and I want you to see that you are not unique in this. I mean, I can imagine if you were 16 years old or you're, you're a teenager, you're, you're in your early 20s and you're here this morning and something like this that you might be thinking, you know what? No, listen, for the first time in the generations ever, I have decided that I don't need to go to church because it's not important. Yeah, you just decided that. You just came up with that. Everybody struggles with it at some point until we figure out what it means to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. And so we're going to get into this, and we're going to start in Hebrews, because God has something very specific to say about the question, why should I have to go to church if I'm already a Christian? God answers that very specifically in Hebrews. Oh, too far. That's the one. Hebrews chapter 10. If you want to turn there with me, or you can see it on the screen, here's what we see in Hebrews chapter 10. It says the... Um, let me find the right spot. Okay, it says, starting in 19, And so, dear brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place. By the way, Holy of Holies, that song we sang, that's the most holy place. When it said, enter into the Holy of Holies, that's it. That's what this is talking about. We can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. By his death, Jesus opened a new and life-giving way through the curtain, a new and life-giving way through the curtain into the most holy place. And since we have a great high priest who reels, rules over God's house, let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting him, 
For our guilty consciences have been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean, and our bodies have been washed with pure water. Now, we're going to stop there, and what I'm going to tell you is that if you're confused about what I just read, that's okay, because it's kind of written in Jewish code, okay? And we'll explain it here for a second, but if you're confused about what that is, that is the gospel. If you're not sure what we just read, we just read the gospel, Okay, And so what this is, is this is this understanding that now, because of Jesus, we have a new standing with God. Okay, That now we can boldly enter this holy of holies. All right, let's look at this. Some of us have gone through this before. Uh, last time we went through the book of Hebrews. But we're going to see this here. Here's what you've got. If you want to see my little red dot, you've got to look at this screen. But otherwise, you, you'll stay with us. This is the tabernacle. Later, the layout of the temple, although the temple was much larger and had many other things it had out here. It had rooms for priests uh, to stay and other things. But, but this is, the, this is the, the inner court. So here you've got the court. This is where the stuff happens. This is where people gather. This is where there are sacrifices. You see the copper altar and the copper basin. And this is what's happening here is people will come with their sacrifices this is the place where you could go if you were a clean Jew. And by clean, I don't mean you had taken a shower. Okay, By clean, I mean you hadn't broken any of the ceremonial law. You hadn't touched a dead body. Okay, You weren't menstruating. Um, you, you can say menstruating in church. Okay, you, you hadn't touched something unclean, you hadn't eaten something you weren't supposed to, you hadn't broken any of the rules that God laid out in the book of Leviticus. Okay, if you hadn't done any of those things and you were clean and you were a Jew, you were allowed to hang out here in this outer court. You could bring your sacrifices and there you go. Then, sacrifices would be made, okay, in here in the holy place. Now, it's holy, it's not the most holy Okay, in here in the holy place, the only people that could get in there were the priests that were on duty. If I was a priest and it was not my month to be serving, I couldn't go in there. Only the priests who were on duty were allowed to go in here. The altar of incense, where the incense would burn before God day and night. The bread of presence, where the 12 loaves, one for each tribe of Israel, would be laid out. Okay, all of those things are in the holy place. But in here, see this thick black line right there between the holy place and the holy of holies, that is a curtain. And it's not a sheer curtain, okay? It is a thick, heavy, weighs a ton curtain that separates. It allows nothing through, no light, nothing, no vision, nothing. It separates the holy place and the holy of holies. And the only people that were allowed to go into the holy of holies, into God's presence, See, what God told us in, in his word is that in the Holy of Holies, that's where his presence dwells, okay? That's where his presence on earth dwells, is in the Holy of Holies. And you could only go into the Holy of Holies if you were the high priest. And there was only one high priest at a time. And you could only go into the Holy of Holies if you were the high priest. And you could only go into the Holy of Holies as the high priest one time a year. One time a year, you could go in the Holy of Holies to make what they called the, the sacrifice of atonement for the nation. You would make the sacrifice, but you would take the blood in and you would sprinkle the blood. And that would cover the sins of Israel. 
That was the old system. That's the old way to worship. But what we read in Hebrews 10, 19 through 22 is, So, dear brothers and sisters, now you personally, as a Christian, can boldly enter heaven's most holy place, the holy of holies, because of the blood of Jesus. And, and again, now that you, you have to understand what's happening here, it says, by his death, Jesus opened a new and life-giving way through the curtain. The curtain separated men and God. The curtain was this barrier between men and God. But we read that when Jesus dies on the cross, what's one of the things that happens in response to Jesus' death on the cross? We overlook this one all the time on Easter. But one of the things that happens when Jesus dies is the curtain inexplicably is torn in two. He dies on a cross, on a hill, Golgotha, but, but at the temple, when he dies... The curtain is ripped in two. This is what the author is telling us. By his death, Jesus opened a new and life-giving way through the curtain into the most holy place. And get this, a life-giving way. The only other way to get in there once a year was with the, was with the blood sacrifice. The only way to enter into God's presence was through sacrificial death. But here we're reading, no, 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 he opened a life-giving way through the curtain into the most holy place. And since we have a great high priest, that's Jesus now, who rules over God's house. Let us go into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting, because God is there. Jesus is there. For our guilty consciences have been sprinkled with Christ's blood, the sacrifices once and for all to make us clean, and we've been washed with pure water. And so we read that, and we see what's happening there. And you might be wondering, well, Matt, that's all fine and good, but what in the world does that have to do with me needing to go to church? In fact, taken out of context, this text would tell us the exact opposite of the fact that we need to go to church. Here's the thing. If you've ever argued, listen up, okay? Because if I do a good job explaining this and a poor job explaining the next part, you've got your answer every time somebody says, you should go to church with me. And you're like, I'm not a Christian. I don't need to go to church. And here's why. You pull out this text and use it out of context. Because out of context, this tells me, ah, uh, I don't need anybody else. This tells me that from now on, I don't... This is where we disagree so passionately with our Catholic friends. Okay? And, and we're not angry about that, but we disagree pretty, pretty passionately because when I read this, I read something about what, what we refer to as the priesthood of the believer. The priesthood of the believer, which means now I don't need anybody else to intercede for me. There is no longer any scenario where I need to go to someone and ask them to intercede for me on my behalf. I get to go directly into the throne room. The curtain is ripped away. There is this new life-giving way into the throne room. I get to do that because of the blood of Jesus. It's been sprinkled on me. I'm clean. I don't need anyone else. I don't need somebody to, to offer confession on my behalf. I don't need to pray to Mary or other saints of old to ask them to speak to Jesus for me. I get to do that. Because of this, I don't need to go and be taught how to worship God anymore. Eh. But out of context, I could take this text and I could say that's, that's what happens here. But hey, <laughs> don't get too excited. We have to read the next part. 23 through 25 says this. So, in light of this reality of the fact that you are now free to worship God... 
That's what that whole thing was about is because of the gospel, when you accept Jesus Christ, when you follow Jesus Christ, you are now free to worship God. You don't need other people to help you worship God. You can go directly into the throne room. You can have a relationship with God. You don't need anything different in light of that. Oh, this is the hard part. Listen, hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm for God can be trusted to keep his promise. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works, and let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. So what we see here is that right after the author, right after God here, right after we are told, hey, look, you no longer need anybody to let you worship You can worship anywhere. You can worship at home. You can worship in your car. You can worship in the shower. You can worship while you're driving. You can worship with your family. You can worship quietly. You can worship. You can do it. You can anywhere, anytime, anything. You can worship. Right after he says that, right after he affirms the truth of that, he says, oh, but by the way, let's hold firm without wavering to one another. Let's encourage one another in the way that we do this. Let's spur one another on in good works. And don't ever think you can quit meeting together, especially today. It says where, especially as the day draws near, okay, as the day of his return is drawing near, we are living in that day. They were living in that day. In that day, what that means, remember, we talked about this during our Christmas series, during our Kingdom Collision series. What that means is that now, okay, Satan is actively at work because, because Satan has been cast out of heaven. At the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, Satan no longer has access to the throne room. But you know what he has? You know what he has? We read in Revelations that he has a plan to wreak havoc on you, the earth, the church, until the time is over, until the appointed time. That's what's happening right now. And so when, when the author, when God says, look, no, 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 hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm, for God can be trusted to keep his promise, you know what I'm talking about. Or at least you should know what I'm talking about because you have been pushed on, pressed on, oppressed from a lot of different angles. I know you have. I have. In this world we live in, there is always pressure to get you to waver, to get you to give up a little bit. You know, I mean, and, and the pressure, it's all over the place. I mean, we, we think, first of all, you know, there's pressure. And this is especially true for, again, you younger guys, you younger folks. Here's, here's the pressure that you've got. The pressure is this. That is garbage. There's no reason for you to believe it. I mean, if we're honest, there are some of you here that feel that way. There are some of you here that struggle with that. And it's the pressure to waver because that's what's happening in the world. Is Satan is saying, you know what, I'm putting pressure. And when I say younger, I mean, listen, some of you older folks, you're doing the same thing. Okay, but it's common with our younger folks. The pressure to say, you know what, there's nothing to it. There's no reality to this. The Bible is fiction. God is fake. There's nothing there. We waver because of the pressure. 
especially when you're alone, especially when you decide that you don't need any other people to feed into your life. We waver. I'm not mad at your wavering, but let's be honest. What did you expect to happen? When you stopped being around people that say true things and you started listening to people on the internet or your well-meaning teachers or professors or your family members that don't think the way you think, what did you think was going to happen? I mean, I'm sure you thought, I can hold firm. What do you think happened to me at Augustana College when I decided that I was going to be done being a Christian that had to go to church? I was just going to be a Christian that didn't waver because I was smart and I was strong. I promise you, I wavered. And it's not just unbelief, but you know, then it gets, it, when we hold fast in belief, then we waver with, with the idea of, of where God draws lines. And we start to compromise. And, and, and the, the unrelenting, boy, hey, listen, it's confession day, so apparently I'm going to tell you all of my deep, dark, secret things that the search team should have asked before they hired me. <laughs> okay, but here's what it is. Carrie and I lived together before we were married. Carrie and I were involved in a sexual relationship before we were married. I mean, that's, we've, we've talked before and we've done marriage series about the fact that we did not do it well, okay? But we, but darn it, we did it in the name of God because we weren't part of a church. We weren't part of a community of believers that met together normally. And so when we went out, guess, we sought advice from other people that, that thought the way we did. And I, I love, I remember your professor, I don't even remember who he is, one of your professors at St. Ambrose, St. Ambrose, the, uh, the Catholic institution where they teach you in Bible 101 that the Bible's not true, it can't be trusted. It's a different issue, don't go to St. Ambrose. Um, <laughs> but hey, it's your alma mater, it's great. But anyway... Pull up pants. Okay, but here's what happened. We had a pastor that we knew kind of sort of because we went to church once a month, once every six weeks with some friends of ours that were, that were trying to love us the best they could. And he said, no, I, I, I won't marry you. Here's, I mean, he said, Matt, I will find a place for you to live until your wedding. You want to get married, you want to be married in a way that honors God, Great, let's put it on the calendar and then I will get you a place to live. I'll find you a roommate, I'll find you a room in a house, I'll, we'll make it work. Carrie and I, because we knew everything, we said, mm, no thank you. And, and there was somebody that, that very specifically, and, and pulled out context, well then people were getting, you know, this no sex, no living together before marriage, that was all the way back then when people were getting married, girls were getting married, they were 14. So of course you couldn't have sex before you were married because then you'd have been 12 and that's no good. And, and like, well, the reasoning was like, man, it sounds really good. That makes perfect sense to me. Because we wavered because we weren't meeting together. There was nobody there. I mean, we had some people, but we weren't inundated with people that were gonna spur us on in acts of good work and love and motivate us to move. So right after God says, you have the freedom to choose to worship me. You have the freedom to worship me. He says, and if you want to do it well, then this is the context that you do it well. Don't waver. 
Get with people that think like you, that believe like you. Get with people that will encourage you in acts of faith and love and good work because Jesus is good for his promises and that's what you need to do. So don't stop meeting together. He doesn't say now that you have freedom to go to the throne room, you should quit meeting together. He says, no, 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 no. Don't stop meeting together. Listen, we all are going to waver a little bit because the pressure is real. But when we're together, that's why I said, man, go to small group or go to Sunday school. Mike is going to be teaching a Sunday school on what, what we believe and why. You having trouble wavering? Find yourself there. We have small groups going with like-minded people that will encourage and motivate you. And I mean, listen, there's a reason we do those things. Because they have real value in helping us grow in this Christian thing. So get this big idea. The church plays a vital role in helping Christians persevere in hope. And if you feel today like maybe you're not persevering the way that you should, then my challenge for you is perhaps you're not as connected as you need to be. We're going to deal with one more objection quickly. Oh my goodness. Like I got like a hyper clicker. That's it. Last one, we're going to do this just very quickly. I'm too busy for church. I work every day. I got kids going to baseball. I got kids going to soccer. I got kids going to volleyball. I got 4-H. 4-H, right? How do you argue with 4-H? 4-H is good, right? And then they want to play the piano. I wish I played piano, so they want to have their piano lessons, and I can't say no to that because as an adult, I wish I... I wish I could play piano. Ask me sometime, I'll tell you about how I almost learned to play the guitar. I had one lesson. Nailed it. (laughs) We're busy. And so we say we're busy. We can't commit to church because we're busy. And then then we say this. We use the extra things that we know the church is going to ask us about. And we say, well, not only am I almost too busy to show up at church on a Sunday morning... I am way too busy to find a regular place to serve. And I am way too busy to get involved in a small group or stay for Sunday school. And I am way too busy to figure out how to do these things. And I'm way too busy to show up for practice on some night. And I'm way too busy to volunteer with you. We, we just, we, we have this busy. We play a busy card. And, and you know what? Here's the deal. You are busy. I get it. Um, I'm not suggesting that you're not busy. I am going to suggest respectfully and lovingly, and I'm looking in the mirror here, that perhaps busy is the wrong word, and perhaps misprioritized is a better. I'm a busy guy. I really am. But man, I watch a lot of Netflix. I mean, Carrie and I just worked through seven seasons of Parks and Rec. <laughs> if you haven't, you should stop at six. But we just worked through seven seasons of Parks and Rec in what, two months? Maybe three? But I'm busy. I don't have time to be in a small group, man. I got TV shows to watch. Listen, Martha was busy. Let me real quick. As Jesus and his disciples continued on their way to Jerusalem, they came to a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. 
Her sister Mary sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he taught, but Martha was distracted by the big dinner she was preparing. She came to Jesus and said, Lord, doesn't it seem unfair to you that my sister just sits here while I do all the work? Tell her to come and help me. Okay? And here's, here's the, the response that you can focus in on. You can drill down on it. It says, but the Lord said to her, my dear Martha, you're worried and upset over all these little details. There's only one thing worth being concerned about. Mary has discovered it and it will not be taken away from her. With all due respect, you're not too busy. You've prioritized poorly. Matt Hance, with all due respect, you're not too busy. You've prioritized poorly. Ask the praise team to come back up. We're going to get ready to close. And I just want to tell you this as they come up and prepare to, to do this last song. That when you work out your salvation with fear and trembling, when you work out your salvation with fear and trembling, you make different decisions. You do things that are uncomfortable, you do things that are hard. You do things that, frankly, perhaps you'd rather not do at first. And then perhaps you find that it wasn't as scary or hard or bad as you thought, and it may be something good from it. Here's what I'd encourage you to do. I'd encourage you, uh, if you haven't had the opportunity, and there are so many different examples that I could throw out there, uh, but I'm going to start with these two, and I'm going to say talk to Joe Johnson, or talk to Scott Lee. Sorry, guys, about that. But here's the thing, when they first signed up for small group, what, two years ago, two and a half years ago, um, let's be honest, they'll tell you they signed up because their wives made them. <laughs> their wives said, hey, we're going to small group, you're coming with. But now we have a new semester that starts this week, and both of those guys signed up for groups that were separate groups from their spouses. And so, yeah, it's hard, and yeah, it feels weird, and yeah, it's not easy, but when you really, when you say, okay, listen, God, I understand everything you've done for me, and I'm following you, and I'm growing in you, then we respond, and we try, and it's awkward, and it's hard, but something good happens when we prioritize rightly. God is first. Don't neglect your family. Your family comes next, okay? Church is in there after that, but all of that trumps Netflix, all of it trumps extracurricular things. All of it trumps, I mean, it just, when you prioritize well, okay? But I don't think there's any confusion about why church. We know, yeah, you're a Christian. That's why you need church. You know, I'm just gonna leave it at that. It's that simple. Pray with me and we'll close. Heavenly Father, God, we love you. We praise you, we thank you. We thank you that we can enter the throne room, that we can go into the holy of holies, that you have ripped open the curtain and that you have made a life-giving way for us to enter into your presence and be in a relationship. And God, we, we, we take that freedom to worship you and, it, and it, doesn't, it doesn't cause us to neglect you, but it causes us to worship more passionately, more intimately, with more fervor. God, we love you and we praise you. Amen. Heavenly Father, God, we love you. We praise you. We thank you. We thank you that um, it is nothing but the blood of Jesus that makes us right with you. And we thank you that you gave it freely.
that you sent your son, that he volunteered, that he laid down his life, that he poured himself out for us. God, we love you and we thank you for that. We praise you. Amen. Hey, don't forget, you got to get your kids.